Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. When I put out the last episode and I was talking about this list of notes that I had and I was talking about story ideas that I had jotted down, I mentioned one called... Let me, let me look at the list. Thank goodness for these notes. I helped rob a bank. I mentioned that, that I might tell that story at some point. And it was funny because when I put out last week's episode, I immediately, I immediately got three emails saying, all right, just tell us the story about how you helped rob a bank. So let me, let me get the, the bank robbery story out of the way. Here, here's exactly what happened. At the time, I was living in Rex, Georgia. This was probably about, oh, I don't know, 2006, 2007, something like that. And at that time, I was tuning pianos, playing in three bands, teaching lessons. That was my livelihood. And I was also selling, at that time, the Mandolin Masterclass book, my first book which I think came out in 2004 or five. So I had, I had um, master class and training camp and excursion, and I was just selling them myself. So people, if they wanted one back in those days, it was a printed book and I would mail it to them. So I'd make every day a little trip to the post office and mail off one book or two books or three books. And in order to get the books in those days, people would write me a check or get a postal money order or something and mail it to me. So on an almost daily basis, I would make these trips to the post office to mail out the books. And I would have this little collection of checks, you know, it, you know, this little stack of checks. And so needing to keep the, the uh, monetary wheels greased properly, I would occasionally have to go to the bank and deposit these checks or cash some of them or something like that. So about once a week, I would go over to Stockbridge, Georgia, to the, it was the SunTrust Bank. And I, I would go in there with my little, you know, I'd have checks from lessons or maybe, maybe some money from a gig or whatever. I just about once a week, I would do my banking. And I've always been one of those guys that um, I didn't really do like plastic money. I I don't like debit cards and I don't even like going to the drive up window. I, I like to park and walk in the bank and, you know, fill up my little deposit slip and stand in line. And, you know, I just, I just like going in the bank. So here, here's what happened that morning. I roll up at the bank at about... I don't know. It's probably about 10 a.m. And I'm sitting out in the car, you know, signing and endorsing, you know, about eight checks, you know, and filling out my deposit slip. When I've got all that done, then I walk into the bank. And as I'm walking up the, up the, up two stairs and then a little sidewalk, about 25 feet to the door, just as I get to the door, I see a guy coming out of the door. He opens the door, and I grab the door and hold it open for him. You know, just allowing the guy to come out. And 
the guy, I think I said, good morning. And he didn't say anything. He had on a, like a ball cap and it was pulled down over his eyes and he kept his head down and he just made a beeline right past me. I thought, that's, that's kind of strange. That guy's not very friendly. And just at that instant, I looked back towards the door cause, because now I am about to walk through the door and there's a lady there and she's like, get in here quick. And I step inside the bank and she's got the keys in her hand and she locks the door behind me. I'm now locked in the bank and, she, and I'm like, what's going on? She says, we've just been robbed. And I said, was that the guy? You know, apparently I held the door open for the bank robber who had already done his deed. And I guess he was coming out of the month, you know, with a sack full of money in his hand. I, I, I do remember him holding something, but I, I didn't get a good look at him. You know, I wouldn't have made a good police witness. I couldn't have described him, except he was probably about five, six, and he had a ball cap on. That's all I remember. I just remembered, you know, he didn't, he didn't seem very friendly, even though I was holding the door open for him. You know, most people around Stockbridge, Georgia, come out and say, morning, hey, how's it going? You know, that kind of thing. This guy just zipped right on by me. I thought, man, that guy's in a hurry. And then I'm locked in the bank. And so I'm just standing there looking around. The, the tellers are all running around inside there. It was, it was, it was like, it, it reminded me of the activity I see in my chicken coop when I, when I let the hens out, you know, they were just, they were just going every which way. And, uh, I'm just standing there like, wow, the bank, somebody just robbed the bank. And so I look out to the parking lot and I see the guy. He's walking across the parking lot. Now they're all running around, uh, just, you know, oh, oh, we've been robbed, you know. And I watch the guy and he piles into the passenger side of a van that's way out in the corner of the parking lot and he climbs in. And then he, they, they start the van up and they, they're driving and I can see them out the big giant windows and they're driving towards the drive through window to get out of the bank. You basically had to go through the drive through windows or there was one lane that went around, you know, kind of went around the drive through windows, but that was how you got out of the parking lot. So he's coming from the back of the bank. Somebody else is driving and they're all running around. And I said, hey, there he is. He's in that van. And he pulled right through the drive through window. I mean, just real slowly, just drove through. And I said, get his tag number. You know, get, his, get the tag number of that van. And, you know, a couple of tellers looked out the window. And as he drove by... They said, uh, somebody write this down. Well, I'm, then I was standing up at the teller window and I just grabbed a, uh, a deposit slip and their pen. I said, all right, call it out. And they called out the driver's or whatever, the, uh, car tag number. I jotted it down and the lady said, oh, thank you. Thank you. And I handed it to the teller or whoever was standing there. And the bank manager was out there and. Well, 
and they said, well, since you're a witness, um, could you could you just sit over there and wait a few minutes? We've called the police and, um, you know, they need to get your statement or, you know, whatever you remember about. I'm like, sure, whatever. So I sit down, take a seat. About 15, 20 minutes later, the police show up. I think, I think, I don't know if it was Henry County Police or the Stockbridge, City of Stockbridge Police. Anyway, they, they eventually show up. And, you know, the, the, like the head teller lady, she unlocks the door and lets the cops in and then locks the door behind them. And there was one other customer in the bank at the time, and we're both just sitting there. You know, we're witnesses. So we're sitting there. And like I said, I got there at about 10 o'clock. Oh, the cops are taking all their information and blah, blah, blah. And getting that tag number, which thankfully I had the wits about me to say, hey, get the tag number. Which, you know, maybe they could have got it off a camera or something. I don't know. I'm not claiming to be some sort of hero in defense of the bank. Um, Lord knows the banks rob us enough. You know, it really doesn't bother me too bad when one of them gets robbed. Anyway, I sit there. At 11.15, finally, they asked me for my statement. I've been there an hour and 15 minutes. And I got a banjo lesson at 12.30 that I got to teach at home. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I'm, I am locked in the bank. That's what I get for helping the guy rob the bank, you know. Anyway, they say, so uh, uh, let me get your name and address and phone number and blah, blah, blah. So well, what did you say? Well, when I arrived at the bank, I pulled the door open and I saw, you know, this guy came out and I held the door for him, you know, and I said, good morning. And he didn't say nothing. And he got in that van and he drove away. That's what I saw. Can I go now? Well, uh, take a seat. We might need to, uh, we might have some additional questions. I'm like, oh man. Okay. So I sit there for another 20 minutes. Finally, they reopened the bank and they said, uh, Oh, Mr. Laird, you, you can go now. I said, well, I still got this deposit I need to make. Can you, are you guys up and running? Can I make this little deposit? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, sure. And forevermore, when I went in that bank, I would walk in that bank and they would go, good morning, Mr. Laird. You know, from after that, they knew me. That was kind of weird. It made it easier to cash checks and stuff. Good morning, Mr. Laird. Anyway, so I kind of helped the dude rob the bank by holding the door for him. Of course, I also helped capture him by getting the tag number because about a week later I was in the bank and I I was doing the same thing again. And I said, hey, to the to the head teller lady, I said, well, whatever happened with that guy? Did they ever catch that guy that robbed a bank? And she said, oh, yeah, they did. Let me tell you what happened. I said, they looked up the tag number and they found the address. And it was an address up in, like, southeast Atlanta somewhere. And they went up there. They sent their detectives up there. And sitting right there in the driveway was the van. It was right there. So they got a search warrant. And they went. And they, and they knocked on the door. And when they went, and, when the guy let him in, when, when they went in the house, the guy was sitting at the kitchen table, had the money stacked up on the kitchen table. And they recovered all the money, and they took the guy to jail. 
You know, the guy wasn't very good at hiding his identity. Like, you know, if you're going to rob a bank, at least like swipe some plates off somebody else's car and put them on your, your car. You know what I mean? And do something with the money besides just stack it up on the, on the kitchen table while you're eating your breakfast. You're just looking at all that money or whatever. I guess they did not stick a die bomb in, in that, that bunch of money. But anyway, apparently they caught the guy and, you know, he probably did six months in jail or something. Anyway, so that's the story. That's how I helped rob a bank by holding the door for the robber. All right, now let's get to some show enough bluegrass content. One of one of the things I've mentioned in many episodes is that if you have a question about any of my materials or a comment about the podcast or you found a typo in one of my books or I said something in a video that you didn't really understand um, that I've encouraged you to send me emails. And over the last few weeks, uh, my wife had to have some surgery done and it's been a little busy. Let's just say that. It's been a little busy. I've been doing a lot more um than my normal daily activities. And it's been kind of a challenge to get the podcast out on time and keep up with answering emails and all that sort of stuff. So uh, my, my little procedure is when I get an email from somebody, which I encourage you to email me exactly those things I said, if you got something you want to tell me, just tell me, send me an email and you can go to bradleylaird.com. And right at the top, right in that header, those are little, um, they're little buttons. And one of them says contact. So just click contact or, or go to the bio page all over the site. You'll find my email address. Uh, same thing as if you go to grasstalkradio.com, if that's kind of where you go to get the, the episodes, just go all the way to the bottom of the page. And it's a really long page because there's getting to be a lot of episodes, but right down there at the bottom, there is a, you know, email link to me. So I, you know, I, I like getting emails. I like hearing it. This is, I've said this before too, that this feels like a one way street sometimes, you know, I'm putting this stuff out there, but I don't hear a whole lot back. Not, you know, in terms of like percentage of, people who are listening, you know, out of every hundred downloads, I might get, you know, uh, one third of one email. So it's very few people that take the time to write it, but I do appreciate it. And, and I suppose that if I got an email from every listener after every episode, I might just be overwhelmed. I might have to hire, you know, some guy in India to answer my emails or something. But as it stands right now, I, I do, I do, look at them when, when they come in, when an email comes in, I glance at it first. That's the first thing, because the first thing I'm attempting to do is, does this have, does this person have a, some sort of trouble or difficulty in processing or downloading a transaction of one of my products? Because to me, that's number one. You know, if, if somebody has, you know, plopped down, 20 bucks for something in my store and they're having trouble getting it. I need to solve that problem immediately because, you know, you pay for the stuff. And I want to make sure you get it. And, you know, sometimes most of the time, 
Well, first of all, that's pretty rare. I, I don't get a lot of those problems, but it does occur. And it generally occurs when somebody is using a tablet or an iPhone or something like that. And the, and the little purchasing process works beautifully there. But the download process, you're far better off to be using a, a standard laptop computer or desktop computer. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all those technical things. I did a, a bonus episode, I think, called Tech Tips that describes all that. So if you're sitting there thinking about purchasing one of my things, listen to that bonus episode, Tech Tips, and it will talk more about that. But getting back to the emails, over the past few weeks, what I've been doing is just flagging. I, you can hit on on the mail program that I use, I can just flag an email and then I know that I need to, that's one I need to respond to. You know, I delete the, you know, the junk mails and some of the junk mail I actually appreciate. Like I'll get, um, you know, emails from elderly instruments or from, you know, Williams Brewing because I ordered some brewing stuff not too long ago. I don't mind getting those emails. I look at them and and then I delete them. But but some of these that come in, I flag them because this is one I need to reply to. But I can reply to it later. So that's how I do this. Well, over the last few weeks, quite a few emails have kind of backlogged in my, my flagged folder. So what I want to do here is just go through some of these emails and just real quickly off the top of my head respond and answer whatever... And as I look at them, I'll, I'll be reminded of what they're asking or commenting on. And I'm just going to reply to them through this podcast. Then I'll send them a link and say, hey, I answered your email in in this podcast episode. And the reason I want to do it sort of publicly is that this could be something that, you know, is exactly on your mind and you just haven't sent me an email. So, you know, whatever we're going to start with, I'm going to start at the bottom um, these are things that I have flagged. I need to reply to Bruce and I'm, I'm not going to give their last names or, you know, personal information, but his name is Bruce and I'm just going to read and skip through it pretty fast. I want to get this done as fast as possible. Um, Brad just discovered your podcast the other day and wanted to tell you how much I am enjoying them. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate. I, I really appreciate that. And he continues, I got the ebook on mandolin from you a number of years ago when I started playing, and I still go back and look up things in it on occasion. He's doing things right. I've, I said in the last episode, you know, if you got one of my books, go back and look at it again. Reread it. Reread it. Maybe read it 10 times over the course of a couple of years. Let's see. I also think that somewhere in the past I read you were ham radio guy, and he tells me his call sign which is all public information. Anyway, he's a uh, KF5. If you ever hear me, give me a shout. I don't really get on the radio like I used to, because uh, when I have spare time, I pick up the fiddle or mandolin. Yeah, that's, what, that's exactly what I've been doing, Bruce. I don't get on the radio that much anymore. I, I do once in a while, turn it on and you know make sure the, the caps are getting charged up. And see if I still remember how to tune the finals, that sort of thing. Um, and get on there and, you know, mess around once in a while, but not like it used to. I was, I'm just like you, Bruce. 
And he continues, I started playing way late in life to ever be really good, but I think I'm competent to hang in at most jams and play in the church band every Sunday for four to 500 folks. Hey, that's a pretty good audience size. Uh, you know, it was pretty rare that over the last 40 years that I played to four to 500 people every week. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's a good performing opportunity. Anyway, just want to say hi and tell you how much I'm enjoying listening to all the podcasts. Lots of great tips that I wish I had known years ago. Yeah, well, I wish I had known them when I started too, you know. And that's really what this podcast is about. You've hit the nail on the head, Bruce, that it saves you a whole lot of trouble. You know, of course, I know how advice works. People give you advice and you ignore it. That's, that's what I did when I was starting out. But there are the little gems, little things that some of it does stay with you. And that's all I'm really trying to do is just, you know, save you some, you know, don't do like I did, that sort of thing. Anyway, so he says, would have saved me a lot of time and frustration. All the best, Bruce. And he's down in Oxford, Mississippi. So, Bruce, there's your reply. And let's see. Apple Podcasts. I kept getting these emails from Apple Podcasts, which, you know, used to be the iTunes app and now it's the podcast app. And they were funny. You know, Apple. They So they sent out this email to all of their podcasters, which the only connection that I have with Apple Podcasts is that my podcast is listed there because I said, hey, I have a podcast and I had to fill out this information, and then if they approve it, they add it to their podcast directory. Remember this. This is important. If you're listening to my podcast through the Apple Podcast app, they don't actually have the podcast. All they have is what's known as the RSS feed. My podcast is hosted over at podbean.com. And the show notes are on my own site. And the audio file, the actual thing, the thing that you're listening to right now is stored on Podbean's servers. And when you listen on iTunes or an Apple Podcasts, they're simply pointing you to that file over on Podbean. They don't have the files. What they have is a directory of podcasts and episodes, and that points you to the file. And all that's contained in that thing called the RSS feed. So every time I publish an episode, Podbean generates a new version of my RSS feed, which RSS means really simple syndication, which, by the way, I, I did a lot of study and reading up on RSS. And let me tell you, it is not really simple. I think that was kind of an inside joke by a bunch of nerdy computer people that invented it. Really simple syndication. Yeah, right. I could never figure that thing out. So that's why I signed up with Podbean. Podbean generates the RSS feed for me automatically whenever I post an episode. So anyway, so I get this email from Apple. I'm like, all right, what have I done now? You know, Apple Podcasts. And it, it, here's what they said. They said, you need to uh, make some changes to your RSS feed. And one of the things they said 
most of the things they mentioned did not apply to me. But they said, you should not include episode numbers in the title of each episode, which I've done from the start. You know, the very first one says GTR-1 or 001. And then I'd put a dash and I'd put the title, you know. I started looking through all the podcasts on Apple iTunes, uh, you know, on pod, their podcast app. Half of the shows that are out there, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands, use episode numbers. And here's Apple, and they said, you should not use episode numbers in the title of the episode. If you do, we may remove your podcast. And I was like, what? So I guess you're going to remove Joe Rogan's podcast. Because he uses episode numbers and so does many, almost about 50% of the ones I looked at used episode numbers. I'm not taking those episode numbers off. I'm not. And so I just sat there, I read that email and I said, you know what? There's no way I'm going back and taking off those episode numbers because I've referred to them in other episodes. I've said, go back to episode 86 and, you know, I'm not taking those numbers off of there. And it was funny because the very next day I got another pod, another email from Apple. And they must have got a bunch of negative feedback. They're going to tell the whole podcasting world how they're going to do their titles. And they backpedaled on it. They said, oh, don't worry. You know, it was just a suggestion. You don't. You can still use episode numbers if you want to. There are some podcasts, that's all they put in the title. It'll say number 1305, and that's the title, you know? Like the, the Tom Woods Show. Check out the Tom Woods Show. I, I like Tom Woods a lot. Tom Woods, episode 1349. Well, that's the title of the show. Anyway, Apple reversed their course 180 degrees and you know it's because of feedback. Feedback is important. You know, these big outfits, they think they can just call the shots for the whole world, but they can't because without us, without the little people, without the listeners and the content producers, they don't have anything. And thankfully, Apple realized that and, and sent out a second email, and I flagged it because I, I, I need to read it. Okay, so let's get back to... Um, more bluegrass-related emails. I'm going to get through these. Uh, let's see here. Oh, my old buddy Mark Gunter. Mark Gunter. You'll, you'll. I don't mind mentioning his name, and I doubt he would either. He, he's been great. He, you'll find him over there on the uh, Madeline Cafe website. He's picked up a couple of my things, and and he's always got really good comments and. Just once in a while, you can tell he he sends me a little little comment. I I, I want to read. I, I saved three or four of them, and this is I, I thought that was funny. He, we were talking about uh, the Mike Marshall interview. Okay, so his comment was on the episode "How to Pick with Grisman," and he said. This reminds me of your Mike Marshall interview when he says that he learned all the Grisman material from his records. 
And later, when he showed up, showed up at David's place and able to play all his licks, he was invited to live in his basement. Ha ha, Mark Gunner. And, uh, you know, I wrote back to him, you know, hey, that's a good point. I wish I'd remembered that before I recorded. Anyway, so we were just kind of going back and forth about that. And he said, uh, I don't know if you all remember the episode I did. I think I called it Nature. Anyway, Mark, he said, uh, that interview was, and I, he's talking about the Mike Marshall interview, was one of my favorite episodes you've done. I probably played it three or four times. In fact, I heard all your earlier episodes several times and some of the recent ones multiple times too. The, uh, this, is, I, this is what I call constructive criticism. The only real dud that I couldn't bear was the Sounds of Nature episode. <laughs> you lazy cuss. Don't get me wrong. I'm a country boy. Love solitude and nature. Just don't want to listen to an audio recording of solitude and nature on the podcast. I'm chuckling while I'm writing this, not fuming, so laugh at yourself with me on this one. And and I got to think, well, that's probably why he doesn't need that. I, I did that for the benefit of people living in a, you know, a 17th floor apartment in Brooklyn or something, you know, who who haven't seen a squirrel in a hundred, you know, in their lifetime. Anyway, I, I wrote him back and I said, yeah, that nature one was weird. Maybe I can top it one day. And he wrote back. Babe Ruth didn't hit a home run at every bat. I can criticize your podcast. I've never done a podcast. LOL. Keep up the good work. You're very much appreciated. Hope you're getting some support. I've been blah, 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 blah. Uh, see you in Americas someday. You know, that's Mark's the kind of guy that I, I like to hear from. I, I like honesty, but I like, you know, I like civility too. And, and he's a very civil guy. And uh, hopefully I will get a chance to meet him and pick with him one of these days. Let's see. I got one from a long-lost cousin of mine, um, which I've already replied to. Um, is, you know, this cousin that I haven't seen since I was about 10 years old sent me an email because she found my website and she's taken up the fiddle and she wanted some suggestions on, you know, what to do. How, how do I learn to play the fiddle and, you know, all this stuff. Unfortunately, it wasn't the mandolin. I suggested immediately that she buy a mandolin. And let's see. Uh, just going to get through these emails. Oh, here's a guy who got his... Oh, yeah. This, you know, this is something I'll just mention. There was a, a guy named Rodney. He um, purchased, or he was attempting to purchase my Bluegrass Bass Instruction Course. And he's just having trouble. He just, you know, he could he could buy it, but it would he couldn't download it. And we went round and round on this thing trying to solve, you know, exactly what the problem was because other people were buying it and downloading it. So I, I didn't know. And with all the different devices and the little Chromebooks and the little tablets with the keyboards and you just don't know. What, and and I, I will confess, I don't know everything about this. I, I know a lot about it, but I don't know everything. If you say, well, I've got a Galaxy 1202. I don't know what a Galaxy 1202 is. You know, I'd have to look it up, you know. So anyway, we solved the problem. And actually his problem, his difficulty was his payment wouldn't go through. He tried to pay and it just wasn't going through. And I'm seeing other payments come through, you know, 
$8 here, $10 there. But his would not go through. I said, hey, we'll just fix this. Just mail me a check, and I'll send you a link to the to the file. It worked. So, okay, we took care of that. Uh, let's see. So, anyway, thanks, Rodney. I hope that book is working for you. By the way, I'm planning on doing some follow-up um, material for the base because that course, while it will make, you know, if you do what's in that book, you will be able to play bluegrass bass. But there's some other things that I've picked up over the years that I want, that I do want to talk about, but I didn't want to bog that book down. So I've got an idea to produce some videos that explain a little bit of the more real world stuff that I do when I play bass. And I'm playing a lot of bass these days. Okay, uh, let's see what else. Oh, uh, this one, hey, uh, this is, I'll go ahead and give his name. I don't think he'd mind. Scott Hicks wrote me. And my name is uh, Scotty Hicks from the band Hunker Down. Hunker Down, I just want to tell you, I, with my wife's surgery and all the stuff's been going on, I've not had a lot of time to to look at this. Basically, you know, I've said many times, and it's on the Grass Talk Radio webpage, if you've got a band, you got some music, you're doing something, contact me. You know, let's get you on the show. Let's put your music on the show. That sort of thing. I really want to do that. But I don't get asked very often. I, I did get one. A guy sent me um, links to some tracks, and I downloaded them uh, right before the the the, uh, the death chord hit my old Macintosh. I lost all that stuff, and we never did do it. And... If, if you're out there listening, send me uh, or re-remind me about that because I lost those files when that, when that computer died. Anyway, to uh, the Hunker Down guys out in Colorado, um, just let me just reply to you right here live. I would like to talk to you guys about, well, first of all, if you've got any recordings, like, you know, you got a finished recording of of one of your tunes that you own the rights to send me a link to it so i can download it and i'll stick it on the show or at least play part of it and then put put a link back to your thing if you got a band and you're out there trying to you know get other folks to hear hear you and what you're doing get with me i that's i, I want to help you so um you know let's start with that um Shoot me a tune and, uh, and, you know, a link to your website. I've already got your website here, hunkerdownmusic.com. And, again, I have not, I'm apologizing here, have had the time to really go look at that stuff yet. And you know what the truth is? It doesn't matter if I like it or not. It, it matters, does everybody else like it? And I'll, I'll put stuff out there that, I, you know, there's not even my cup of tea. But, anyway, it sounds pretty good, and I appreciate your email. I did read the whole thing. I just haven't taken the time to reply and do anything yet so hunker down uh y'all hang in there uh send me a tune i'll just i'll stick it on like i did for the city hotel band down in savannah you know they sent me a i don't know if it's an ep or a full cd and said hey play whatever you want and i did in in some earlier episodes i'd like to you know definitely you know put some put some music out there for you so anyway, uh, that takes care of that, Scott. And uh, let's keep going here. We'll get through this quick. Bell, uh, Bell, yeah, Bell. I'm trying to remember where Bell is. 
Bell. I love that name, Bell. It, oh, yeah, I did reply to him already, so I don't really need to go into this. Other than I'll just read you the first little part. I just want to let you know that I was inspired by your episode jamming with Grisman and thought, okay, I got to jam along with a whole album. And I remember why I flagged this because I want to tell you, the audience, this thing that he suggested that I forgot to mention in the in that episode about how to pick with Grisman. He said, I spent the last few days thinking about what album would be right for me. And after some thought, I reckon I'll go with Hot Rise's traditional ties. I think it's a good mix of tunes, although Frank's blues might be a little tricky. And here's his great suggestion that I hope you guys will take Bell's advice. Quoting Bell, rather than start starting with track one, etc., I think I'll choose the songs in order of difficulty and jam friendliness. If I should wander back tonight, seems like a good one to start with. Anyway, just wanted to let you know that I think it's a cool plan. Cheers, Bell. Um, that's a that is a an excellent tip, and I forgot to mention it because if you pick an album that you're going to learn the entire album, you know, start with the easiest tune. You know, that just makes sense. That's, that's a, that's a, just a, you know, it actually doesn't take a genius to think of that, but apparently I was too stupid to think of it while I was recording that. And Bell, thank you for pointing that out. Pick one, you know, you don't have to do these in order. And then I was thinking of, well, what are some other things that I forgot to say? And Another point about that learning the whole album process is that I think you should remember that your point is not to duplicate what the people on the album are doing. You could do that at some point. Like if you're playing along with a Grisman thing and you're a mandolin player, for most people, it's simply to be able to play along and fit in. It is not to duplicate every note that Grisman played. That's at some later stage. So start out with just like, hey, if Grisman allowed you to just stand there and play with him, what would you play? And how would you fit in? Do that first. And if you can do that with all 12 or 13, 14 songs... You've made some real progress. Then, you know, if you really want to, to absorb some of the mandolin knowledge that Grisman has, then you pick the easiest possible tune, that, and you begin to learn to play the exact notes that he played. But that's like at the really higher level. That is exactly what Mike Marshall was talking about and that uh, Mark Gunner in that other email mentioned. So... That is something you can do, but it isn't the starting place. The starting place is learn to play the chords, learn what key they're in, and uh, try to fit in with that band of these masterful musicians. So anyway, thanks, Bell. That was a, that was a great um, thought that I didn't think of. And let's see here. We're going to go to Timothy here. Uh, Brad... I am an upper-end, blue, intermediate bluegrass flat picker. I've been playing guitar for 25 years. Classic rock, Grateful Dead. Got into bluegrass guitar four years ago. 
through researching, uh, purchasing a Martin, became this is uh, I, I love this part. Became obsessed with Tony Rice, Blake. He's talking about Norman Blake, Greer, White, etc. David Greer, Clarence White, etc. Uh, been using Peghead Nation, homespun tapes, and other online learning sites. Progressed into a good player with solid technique and blah, blah, blah. I live outside of Boston and attended my first bluegrass festival, the Joe Val Bluegrass Festival. I got some old Joe Val records. You remember I told you guys about um, liberating the bluegrass record collection from the Abraham Baldwin um, dumpster. I had some Joe Val records in there. Uh, so he went to his first festival. And this is the point. He says, I took your advice from the podcast that to really get into bluegrass, you had to get into bluegrass and go to a festival. I went to all the guitar workshops on Saturday and jammed with Lincoln Meyer and I don't, um, unfortunately, I don't know who Lincoln Meyer is. Maybe when I finish this, I'll Google Lincoln Meyer, probably somebody I ought to know about, and got to see Brian Sutton. I learned so much just being there. It was a blast and planned to take my wife and the kids to some outdoor festivals this summer. Okay, and then he, he has a, a question about, he's thinking about taking up mandolin. And let me say this to everyone who, and I get these questions once in a while, uh, where somebody comes along and says, you know, like, what do you recommend? Like, you know, I got 750 bucks uh, that I can put. I'm thinking about an F style. What, what do you think? What, what do you think? And honestly, I want to plead ignorance on this because I found my mandolin, the one that I love. My flat iron 1985 F5 artists made in Bozeman, Montana, signed by Steve Carlson. I, I quit looking. Honestly, God, I, I just quit looking. Now, I saw a lot of mandolins because my students would come in with various things. You know, they'd come in with a fender with some pickups in the front. I've seen Eastman's and Michael Kelly's and Colling, uh, Collins. Collings. Sorry. Sorry, Bill. Collings, I, I've seen everything. And, you know, most of them I've had a chance to play. And, and but I, I'm not an expert on, like, the current models. And, you know, really, Mandolin Cafe is a great place to get some feedback. However, take that with a grain of salt because a lot of the feedback you're getting are from people just like you who may be a year ahead of you. And the people that have been doing this 40 years, they don't know anything about a Northfield because they don't have one, you know. Ask them about an Anderson or, a, you know, something that was made in the 70s or 80s. They'll know a lot about that, and they probably know the Gibson stuff. But I'm be honest, I'm just simply not qualified to talk about uh, low-end price or, or even kind of like intermediate range instruments and various models, certainly not models. I do have some some thoughts on it. I do like Eastman. And I have a funny feeling I've never had my hands on a Northfield, but I got a funny feeling I would like Northfield, you know, in that price range. But anyway, so what I want to do is just beg off, you know, 
I'm not really the guy to ask about like the current um, production instruments that are out there. Uh, every time I get that question, I, I go back to this basic statement and I've replied to many emails about this. What do you think I ought to get? What do you think about this? What do you think about this model? And my answer is always try to go play the instrument in person. Try to play a lot of them and buy the one that you like the sound of. That's, that's always my answer. Blindfold. Try to blindfold yourself because it's about the sound. It's about the feel and it's about the, you know, but that usually in 90% of the cases can be worked out through, you know, a setup and string choices and, you know, things like that, that suit you. And, you know, go back and, and listen to that episode called, let me see that mandolin. And, and that's what really I would suggest to Timothy. Uh, listen to that podcast where I talk all about, you know, mandolins. Okay. So, uh, that's that. Um, uh, what else we got here? Congratulations and salutations, Bradley. This is from, what's his name? I'm going to go to the bottom and see his name. And I'll be done these pretty quick. Steve Barnes. <laughs> Hope you don't mind me saying your name, Steve. Um, I, I, I like a person that takes the time to write a good long email. You know, some, sometimes I just glance at it and have to read it later. But, you know, I like people that take the time, you know. Anyway, greetings and salutations. Bradley, want to congratulate you. I'm going to you know, paraphrase here a little bit. You know, on the podcast, I've enjoyed the 20 or so I've listened to you so far. Uh, blah, 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 blah. You got the play-by-ear banjo stuff. And this is, this is kind of, I think I already replied to him. A little background. I played euphonium as a professional musician in Europe as a member of the armed forces in the 1970s and with a community brass band in the last 20 or so years. I understand how to read notation and et cetera, et cetera. And he asked me a couple of specific questions and talking about how much he practices and stuff. And I, I do remember, I did reply to him. He said, uh, my dog requires me to play Wabash Cannonball each night. She sings a little bit and then goes to sleep. I have a list of seven to ten tunes I work through each night, including mode scales in G. Okay. Uh, and I said, hey, you know what? Here's my suggestion. And it was just a real quick off-the-cuff suggestion, but it's the sort of thing that I would say to probably everybody who is listening who is trying to improve their playing. And that is... Uh, you know, playing for your dog is great. And I, I encourage you to continue playing for your dog, but I think you probably need to get out there and go to some jams and maybe start up a little regular picking session, start doing some playing with other humans, you know, <laughs> you know, play for your dog. I play for the donkeys sometime and they, they get so attentive and they just stand there and they get real mellow and they just listen to me play. And that's, that's cool. But, uh, you, you know, you really want to learn to play that thing. you got to get with other people and figure out how to uh, navigate all that. Anyway, he's talking about how do you get off the tab page. Well, I'll tell you, it's a lot like what I said in the last episode about note-taking in if you were attending a college class or something like that. And that is you got, you got to turn the page over. Don't be looking at the answers. So, as you, you know, tab is a memory device just like taking notes in a notebook is. 
tab and standard notation. Take your pick. Um, you use it when you can't remember, you know. D don't. Uh, in other words, as you're working through it, keep it face up on the music stand. As soon as you think you might be able to play the thing without it, turn it face down and try playing it. When you get stuck, flip it over, take a peek, and then put it back down face down. Try to wean yourself off the paper. I mentioned, you know, uh, Van Cliburn, the uh, fabulous pianist. Uh, go watch his. I put a link to it in one of the shows about his concert in uh, in Russia back. I think back in the '60s. Uh, there was no music on that stand, you know, on that piano. You know, no self-respecting, you know, uh, great concert pianist would walk out and have to have somebody turning his pages, except for Victor Borga, of course. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Uh, so, Steve, uh, thanks for the email, and hopefully I have answered your questions correctly. Oh, and now I got two more, and then we're done. I just want to say a special thanks to this this guy here, Clayton. Clayton, Clayton is the guy. Clayton, uh, he he bought. I I don't remember the various items. I think he's purchased about, I don't know, a dozen or so of my video lessons, and you know maybe an ebook here and there. And. I thought, okay, you know, he's buying these things one at a time, and he could go over there and just get the Madeline treasure chest and get 24 of them and just save a pile of money, but he's doing it one at a time, just one at a time. And you know what? I think he, I think that's a good idea. That's certainly how you should study them. I don't know that that's how you should purchase them. Anyway, we got to talking back and forth through a couple of emails over the over the past year or so. And it turns out he's sort of like me. He lives out in the sticks <laughs> and doesn't have, a, you know, super high speed internet available and has, uh, you know, like bandwidth limitations. And he, he said, well, my kids are watching YouTube and eating up all the bandwidth. And I don't remember if he was on a satellite hookup or, or what. And it's only been five years ago where I live that we got internet. I mean, we didn't have cable TV which I didn't want cable TV anyway, but, you know, cable is how you get your internet around here. And, you know, we could have gotten satellite, but you have all those bandwidth issues. That's Clayton. He was stuck in that situation, which, you know, I was talking about somebody living in an apartment in Brooklyn. They don't get it. They don't understand it. You're living in the suburbs of Chicago or you're in San Francisco or LA or downtown Atlanta. You don't understand there's a lot of people in that flyover country you know the heartland the bluegrass country uh the you know everybody doesn't have high speed internet okay so that's clayton so he just buys them one at a time and he he like at three in the morning he'll download a, a lesson about once a month he picks up another video anyway he wrote me thanks I, it, here's what i did and i'm not saying i'll do this for everybody but he bought another lesson, a little $8 lesson, and downloaded it. And I thought, 
this guy, if I could clone Clayton, if I had a thousand Claytons out there, you know, I could uh, maybe put some gravel in this driveway and have that dead tree removed. You know, I just, boy, what I need is more Claytons. That's what I need. Anyway, he wrote me and he, he said something that I thought um, is very typical. He's, and I'm going to quote him here. I'm slowing down a bit because each lesson is getting a little harder for me. And I've hit a little mental wall when I try to play the songs at the faster tempos, 84 to 88 beats per minute. I do well keeping tempo playing the chords, but I get a little tense picking the solo parts, but I'm getting better. Some days I get frustrated and ready to quit. Hey, that's all of us, including me. But the next day, when I'm a little relaxed, it sounds much better, and I realize how much progress I'm making. I know it's just a mental thing, so I will eventually get past it. Well, you're absolutely right. Clayton, I don't need to tell you anything. You understand. I will just recap my suggestion. And that is, don't worry about the speed. I mean, yes, you're, you're trying to build speed, because to be a competent bluegrass player, you got to play fast. Or, you know, pretty fast, you know, quick. You got to be quick. And for some people, that's really easy. And the difficulty for those people is in playing good music, you know, picking out notes that really are meaningful. Some people are good at playing fast, but they don't say much, you know. And other people say a lot, but they have trouble getting the speed up. And you're absolutely right. It's about tension. Now, whether that's caused mentally or physically, I think it's a little combination of both because obviously the mind and the body are working together. But here's my suggestion for how do you get over the next hump? How do you get to the next higher level when you're playing, trying to play faster? And that is play, work up, through the speeds until you reach a point where it's not feeling good. It's beginning to, you're beginning to stumble. You're beginning to feel tense. Back off, back off. If, if for you, you're at 88 beats a minute on a particular thing that you're trying to play and you start feeling it tighten up, try 96. And if it really tightens up, you're right. I mean, don't, and stop, don't do that anymore. Go back down. Find that tempo where it's easy. Might be 75. Might be 80. Find that speed where you can just cruise along, pedaling along, not thinking a thing about what you're doing. Everything's good and relaxed. And it just feels good. And do that over and over and over and over. And pretty soon, that's going to start to seem kind of slow. It's almost like, you know, I believe I might be able to go a little quicker. Just notch it up a little bit and try it again. And I think you will go faster. You've got to spend the majority of your time practice, practicing at the tempo at which you can play perfectly. And that includes playing the correct notes, the correct fingerings, and feeling loose and relaxed I'm not saying you put, shouldn't put some fire into your playing. You should. But can you play a note hard and still feel, feel relaxed? What I'm saying is don't do the stuff. Don't practice making mistakes. 
And tensing up is a mistake. Don't practice that. Slow down. Get it right. Feel good. Feel good. You know? Okay. That's enough for that one. Uh, thanks, Clayton. You are the man. <laughs> and, if, you know, if we could figure out how to clone Clayton. And then this last one, and I'm done. And I hope this wasn't boring for you. I hope there's some of my responses are also helpful to you. There's a guy, he took banjo lessons from me. His wife um, was the um, owner and manager of a Mexican restaurant in McDonough, Georgia, which I don't believe is open anymore. And our band, Pony Express, played at El Puente every Thursday night for three and a half plus years, almost four years. Every Thursday night in a Mexican restaurant, Pony Express played there, and that's David's wife. It was through David that we got the gig. David was taking banjo lessons from me. He'd come over once a week and you know play his banjo and stuff, and we got to know each other. And uh, David is a master woodcarver. Just amazing stuff. I think you know he started fooling around making decoys and things like that. Just incredibly talented woodcarver. And he was an air traffic controller. He's now retired from air traffic controlling. But just out of the blue, I haven't talked to him in since I moved down here. And out of the blue, I got an email from David. Hey, Brad, hope you're doing well. I'm cleaning. I, I was cleaning out. I'm cleaning out and found a paperback of Can't You Hear Me Calling, The Life of Bill Monroe, and thought about you. If you don't have the book and want it, I'd be happy to send it to you. That's a really nice thing. And you know what's funny is, that book, Can't You Hear Me Calling, I have it, of course. <laughs> of course, I have, you know, I have that. Um, but I'm bad about loaning books out or good about it. You take your pick. If you're on the receiving end, it's a good thing. I loaned out my uh, Tony Trishka melodic banjo book to one of my students and haven't seen it since. Uh, and Brady, if you're listening to this, I, I did get an email from the guy who has it. And he's like, I was going through my books the other day and I found this book. And, and it said property Brad Laird stamped in the front. He's like, I'm going I'm to send this to you. So still hoping to see that book come back. There's still some tunes in there I'd like to learn. But anyway, I've been pretty free over the years of trying to spread the bluegrass thing and loaning out books, and then I forget who I loaned them to, and then they forget where they got them. I don't blame, you know, I'm not blaming these people for, like, stealing my books or something. It's just you forget, you know. Somebody loans you a book, and then two years later, you, you don't remember where you got it. Anyway, um, my copy of Can't You Hear Me Calling that I've talked about on this podcast before I loaned it out to somebody. I do not know where it is. And so, and then just like some mystical karma thing in the universe, David, who I haven't talked to in six, seven, eight years, sends me an email and says, Hey, I got an extra copy. Can't you hear me calling? You want me to send it to you? And I said, Yeah, send it. So I may have a, um, you know, can't you hear me calling back on the bookshelf again? Anyway, that's it. I'm, I have um, certainly bored you enough with uh, wading through my emails, and now I can say that I have answered 
all of these various emails. And I encourage you to email me if you have a question or a comment about the show or about any of my products, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, just a little friendly reminder that the, the podcast can only continue with the support of you, the listener. And you can support the show by telling your friends about it. Because one of them might have just won the lottery and want to give me, you know, you know what I'm saying? Tell your friends about the podcast. Print out the little mini flyer, which I swore I would never mention again because I don't think anybody ever prints it out. But print out the little mini flyer. Make three or four of them. Stick them in your banjo case. Give them to your friends. Send some people to the show. I would love it if, if you all would help. Uh, you know, grow the audience to the point where I had to move up into that next tier and pay twenty nine ninety five a month for hosting. Uh, I don't want to do that, but um, maybe I'll start me up a uh, GoFundMe you know, or something. Anyway, support the show, and you can do that by telling your friends about the show or by kicking a little something over on the, you know, get that Grass Talk Radio supporter package thing and just throw down a couple of bucks and say, hey, Brad, like what you're doing? Here's ten bucks. Or purchase one of my products, and that's just a trade, you know. You you give a little, I give a lot. That's that's what I try to do. Y'all have a good one, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.